If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a holy shit showdown, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding some answers to how can I plan an engaging grand encounter? And what does an epic dragon fight look like? And where do good dragons come from? Aren't they all nasty beasts? (laughs) Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So have you ever introduced a massive, elaborate encounter that you put all of this planning into only to realize five minutes later that you really goofed? Uh, All the time and every time. (laughs) It doesn't matter how many times I build an encounter and I'm like, this, this is the best encounter that I've ever built. Five minutes into it, I'm like, oh, fuck, I missed that bit. The game, I uh, wish I'd thought of that earlier tears it to pieces the reality of the session (laughs) immediately like when you've planned some grand cliffside that they have to make it up to get to the dragon fight you didn't plan this part out but you start making them do climb checks and you're five climb checks in and you realize can't have them fall now because that's just instant death for one failure and you're also not accounting for the the wizard with noodle arms like, yep, yep. it doesn't matter how you go about that. That's going to be a strength-based check. So then you got the dragon just watching them from another cliff, waiting for them because you can't have the dragon engaged. Tapping its fingers at the top of the cliff, going, <laughs> I wonder when those shit-ass adventures are finally going to make it up here. And you're just rolling dice in a circle and nobody's interested. Most other encounters that we've done, you get halfway through it and you go, shit, I should have done that better. Yeah. I wish I'd thought of that earlier. I had some fun ideas, but... We can do better. And that just goes back to planning and putting some conscientious thought into some of those encounters. And I have to say, when they do go south, that's one of my least favorite things I've ever experienced playing D&D. The energy in the room just drops while you try to figure out where the ripcord is to get you out of this encounter. (laughs) Oh, I know that feeling so well. I hate that (laughs) feeling so much. It just makes me feel... Icky and sticky. Somebody please have a good time. (laughs) Well, over the course of this podcast, we've fortunately had the chance to gain insight from some pretty great DMs. And with our own experience, we've put together kind of a checklist, a guide for creating consistently complex and satisfying encounters. Yeah, it kind of screams for resource at some day. Maybe I'll get around to building that. (laughs) So we're going to go to the strategy stateroom to put together a dragon encounter and then to the Temple of Inspired Hands to talk about a really cool dragon adventure. This is the strategy stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so you figured out how to build a great encounter. And this kind of spans all manner of different creatures, not just dragons, but this works particularly well because we're going to use this to flesh out a big, grand, holy shit dragon fight for some players to hopefully get not churned through. 
Because everything's got to build towards a dragon encounter at some point. That's right. The entire game of D&D is leading towards a dragon encounter. Again, whether you You know it or not. So take us through the steps to planning a big bad dragon fight. Well, you got to know your villain. We've even have an episode just about villains. So go there for a little more depth. Then you want to build to suit the players and the villain. Interesting. I'm intrigued. And then you want to build encounter stages and triggers for when to switch between them. All right. So we're going to go through this in a lot more depth, and we're going to try to do something a little bit different this time, because as we go through the points, we're actually going to build out an encounter, thanks to the participation that we got from one of our patrons and our Discord chum, Leprechaun. Thank you, Leprechaun, because we thought you were probably tired of hearing about our characters. (laughs) Well, Leprechaun provided us an entire list of players in a group and we're going to try and yeah tune this entire encounter just for this specific group if you're not running a pre-written campaign there is no reason to not make the entire story centric around the players themselves and make it consequential and interesting and meaningful to the players that are sitting at the table and as we dove into in the last two episodes Dragons should be something to be in awe of. And if this grand encounter doesn't feel grand, if it's just a a straight up monster fight where you're both just trying to outlast one another's hit points, that's not going to feel satisfying. And it's kind of funny because dragons at their mechanical core are fairly simple monsters. They're tough as shit, but they just have claws, a bite, wings, and a breath attack. Sometimes a tail. Unless you cut it off. <laughs> like a dog, they've docked the dragon's tail. I guess, that's rough. Yeah. Mistreatment of dragons. I also want to point out that we're going to be doing a dragon lair in this episode, but you could have an epic dragon encounter anywhere. This is just for simplicity's sake. Yeah. I mean, you could be defending a town from a dragon's fury. You could be fighting on a space station when 30 dragons show up. A space station? You could. I guess so. You could. You could be fighting in the center of the core of the planet. (laughs) Your mind is ever fertile. And the planet turns into a dragon. No, I'm stopping you there. Stop. Okay. Okay. So we got to get to know our villain. So what environment is our dragon going to be in? I mean, it's a green dragon, right? So forest. Yep. And you and I love running themes around kind of core principles or core, you know, the players are fighting for truth, justice, and whatever. And so a lot of the enemies are going to be counter to that. And that creates a lot more drama. So what kind of themes are we going to run with on this? Well, Leprechaun gave us the main theme from his party of reclamation. Interesting. And that comes from individual themes like honor, glory, and knowledge are the things they're trying to reclaim. Cool. Okay, I really dig that. That's neat. That's a heroic theme. It really ties a group together. And I like these themes just because they provide me with inspiration when I'm sitting there and I've just got nothing for my next creative step. And then I think back to the theme and that usually triggers something in my weird brain. Well, again, you can be more creative within boundaries. Yeah, totally. So yeah, having those themes really helps. We got to come up with something a little bit more detailed for this encounter so you said this is going to take place in a lair so what's the lair look like 
Well, to create this part of it, I pulled from a previous episode with Gabriel Picard, really good DM, makes some amazing maps, but this concept was narrative reasoning. And it's basically, why is the layer there? Which if you don't do this step, you end up with a pretty flat environment that you didn't mean to be flat. A cave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and I've done that. For yeah. Sure. Oh, I, I'm guilty of that. Like nobody's business. So I was thinking, what if the lair was constructed by a small community of elves that was a strong bridge between the worlds of dragons and humanoids? Cool. They had tons of knowledge packed away from dragon spells to the secrets of the human nobles. Then something went wrong between them and a powerful green dragon, and the dragon ended up claiming the halls as her own. Very cool. Even just a library is a lot more I don't know, interesting to me rather than, you know, you could put that anywhere. You could put it in a box cavern or you could put it in a forest or, but just the fact that this place had a history before just makes it all the more interesting because you've got that, pardon the triple word score usage, but the juxtaposition of a big angry beast and all of these, you know, halls of books and tomes and knowledge and the combat that's going to happen there is going to be really interesting because I think I can add a lot of flavor in books exploding when spells are being cast and like, I don't know, shelves being knocked over and toppled. Like there's a lot of dynamism in that location. And with those kinds of details, I can see the more intelligent people in the party, like the wizard, having an internal problem with that as it's happening. It's giving them something to play on. Yeah. I mean, you've got life and death at stake, but at what cost? Like yeah. maybe some of these tomes are the only ones in existence and protecting them and protecting the environment that I'm fighting in. That's going to be a true trick. That could have been the whole reason that some of the party members are there. Yeah. Trying to protect that knowledge and recover it. Cool. So I think that's pretty solid. Then we just need some of the basics like the dimensions, which maybe this massive library is 200 feet long, 40 feet high uh, with some pockets and offshoots. It's 30 feet across. Okay. I think we need some more details in there. Like, I don't know what else is in there. So we've got the bookcases. We've got, I mean, it's a green dragon. We have to add some greenery in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> that wasn't a pun. I'm saying that the green dragon might want to make itself at home. And also you've got all of this stone and all of these books and those I don't know, those aren't easy to blend in with. And as we kind of talked about in the last episode, I still kind of now see green dragons as being somewhat tiger-like, like feline in their movements and actions. And so they might want some camouflage. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, you could have trees growing through the walls, vines dangling between them. That totally. tiger dragon's going to be perching in those trees and in those green areas to blend in so we're talking tons of foliage tons of vines because this library has been in ill repair for hundreds of years and then if you think about the fact that the green dragon can breathe in water you gotta have some water in there why not cover the entire ground in water and here's a truly diabolical idea so the water is all the same level and there are some high spots and some low spots. You know, you can see maybe the tile floor in some areas that the earth is kind of pushing it up and breaking that 
that immaculate tile floor, but then the rest of the ground is covered in water. And I'm thinking variable depths. Deep enough, like you said, the green dragon can breathe water. So why couldn't it hide in the water? Oh, absolutely. Why couldn't there be spots in the terrain that to the players looks all the same depth, but then has like 10 or 20 foot deep holes that are hidden in this kind of murky, mucky water? The dragon could dig as deep as it wants. Yeah, so it has filled this chamber and has even tunnels yeah. to get around. Maybe there's still fresh water coming in from outside, so it's not just like oh, a we stagnant gotta, swamp. Yeah, we definitely have to throw a little uh, trickle coming in through the ceiling or like a small waterfall somewhere. Yeah. Then with those, then to give the players something to run around on, you could have all the greenery kind of creating a, a maze through the water. So they can still get from place to place, but it's got to be strategic and they don't know if it's going to vanish beneath their feet. Ah. Then I think you just got to throw in another real sensory detail, like the dragon breathes gas. gas, Chlorine gas, to be specific. Oh, really? <laughs> so you could give it some kind of a rotten smell of fruit or garlic or something like that. I don't know if you've been to like an over-chlorinated pool, but it burns your lungs. Heck yeah. You can feel it almost on fire. Like it's not a good feeling. So there's a literal choking energy in the room. Yeah. Okay, I think we got the scene set. Just a level set for you if you're unfamiliar with green dragons. They're not beasts. They're incredibly intelligent. They love intrigue. They're very secretive. They're diplomatic creatures. And to me, they have always screamed asshole. <laughs> And Classic green dragon just goes on the top of a mountain and goes, asshole. <laughs> all, all dramatic dragons are somewhat assholes. Whereas another dragon might, you know, burn you to a crisp and eat you. A green dragon is going to mentally torture you. Yikes. Because they have the ability to just sway anybody to their side. They're very, very adept socially. They're the only chromatic dragon that has really high skills in the persuasion, deception, charisma area. Yeah. yeah. So if our party is thinking about reclamation and honor and knowledge, I kind of want to twist the knife just a little bit deeper by having one of the ex-lore keepers or historians, elven historians, dead in a cage. Ooh. And I want that green dragon to gloat about it, to talk about honor and then fight with no honor. <laughs> oh, like if there is some kind of a uh, diplomatic scene, then it's just toying with the cage like a cat toy. Yeah, I, I want to amp that up so much. So we know that dragons are pretty bad and rough. So if we're talking about the traits of this dragon... We'd start with some of the ones we've covered, like greedy and narcissistic and prideful, but then to flesh it out into a full character, what else could we throw in there? Maybe playful, you know, like playing with that cage. Yeah, it gives like, it, it almost gives it contrast, but it can still be very... And maybe almost jovial, like because of that playfulness, it's creepily happy that the adventurers are Ooh, there. Yeah, maybe it's just got 
a heightened sense of the dramatic. He's had time to read some uh, classic classic literature <laughs> literature from the library. And of course, this comes straight from Green Dragons, but maybe that final trait is just that it's cunning. Yeah, for sure. I like that. So what are our heroes trying to accomplish? We need a goal for this entire encounter. Well, I think this is going to come a lot from how the story leads up to it. But just to give us something that's not kill the dragon, maybe they're trying to get it to leave its lair, at least semi-permanently, so that they can do some of that quick reclamation. Pull some knowledge out of there, pull some treasure out of there, whatever they're looking for. Dig it. Okay, now we need to do a character rundown. So if we're going to make this entire combat feel heroic, we need to take a character's strengths and we need to build some elements of the fight to actually specifically suit it because this green dragon's going to get some pretty dope lair actions. Yeah, we don't have to worry about the power of the dragon in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> We've actually given it uh, you know, quite a bit to do here. So, we need to take elements that each one of the players can utilize really well in this encounter that actually leads to their skills that their skills benefit greatly from interacting with. So for instance, if we have an archer, we need something for them to shoot, not just the dragon, but like something to interact with within the environment that might help or hinder their, their fight, but is uniquely something that an archer is going to benefit from. So this is how we have to actually like study our players and figure out what they're good at. Okay, let's take Leprechaun's first character. Leo Morn, fighter, champion, human, and ironically, an archery fighting style. So this works perfectly with the sharpshooter feat. Got that high dexterity. And Leo Morn is always looking for underhanded tactics to get the advantage in this situation. Treasure focused and a risk taker. Very good. So what kind of tactical element have you got for something like this? Okay, so how about in each of the corners of the ceiling, you've mm -hmm. got beautiful crystal dragon heads. Oh. Kind of that vanity thing, yeah. narcissism thing. But if they're broken, they'll shatter into dangerous shards. And they're they're not like massive. They're not super ostentatious. Okay. So the dragon's not going to assume that people are going to aim to break those right off the bat. Though I still like that we've described up until this point like a library that's in disrepair and flooded, yet that vanity is coming out in full force and is like, I want I want some crystal heads to look like me. That's that's <laughs> badass. I mean dragons don't have the same sense of style as humans. <laughs> it's a lot more flamboyant, apparently, crystal heads. <laughs> well, I don't know, whatever breakable material you want. But let's say it does break into dangerous shards. And each of those heads could contain something of serious value that the dragon's going to fight to get to first. So it's providing okay. a huge distraction because like when you're fighting a dragon, are you not just thinking, please don't breath attack me? Pretty much the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if the archer can provide that moment of relief to the party mm. and as well expose some kind of a treasure for themselves. I like this because I'm going to feel a lot more inclined as the dm to use the dragon to the best of its abilities because i found myself in this position too as a dm where i didn't have the monster fight super smart and use more cover and do all of that kind of stuff 
because I felt like if I did, I would decimate the party. Right. And this way, I'm giving the party just a little something to work with. Yeah. So hopefully, Leo Morn figures that out. <laughs> so when you're creating a good encounter, you always want the opponent to have something to give them a boost as well. We kind of already mentioned that the lair actions do this for the dragon. So to balance out this one, we just say that the tactical element is going to be that magical fog that the green dragon has. That when it creates it, it can charm its enemies. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So the next character, Carrie, human fighter champion. Now, Carrie apparently uses the defense fighting style and is going to be more of a strength-focused build. Excellent. And they're a disgraced city noble looking to improve their family legacy by restoring an ancient place. Oh, so you mean our library works very well for this? <laughs> Might just be perfect. What are the odds? And they're typically the bruiser in combat. Interesting. So okay. let's work with that. So we need to use some strength-based elements. So what's another tactical element that we can use to screw with our dragon? Okay, so how about this? Massive dragon statues. Again, very vain. Incredibly vain. You got anything else that would be better? I just keep leaning into uh, dragon statues. Well, I think they work just fine. But I mean, if this was once uh, an immaculate library, there could still be some beautiful pillars. Yeah, with some of those elven designs on them. Yeah. And the craftsmanship of these could just be incredible. So I'm kind of interested to see where you're going with <laughs> these pillars because I feel like they're not going to fare very well. They exist to topple over. Give the bruiser something to push over into the water, even onto the dragon. Do some serious damage. Yeah, you could easily chalk those up to be like a, a 2d12, 3d12 kind of hit on that dragon. Yeah, and I like that this provides some after effects too, because if one of these pillars is downed, it could provide safe and easy surfaces to move through the water on. So they could strategize for even where they push it for that reason. That's good. I think we're going to have to hint at the players to say that these could be toppled. So showing one maybe already down and then another one with like a big wedge kind of cut out of the side or that it's been kind yeah. of worn away so that the players initially say, I can push that. Going back to some of that puzzle stuff, like make sure they know what they can do. They also have to be freestanding because if we want to give our players a something to climb because they might just use it to climb but also they have to be freestanding because if they're load-bearing pillars the party's not going to touch those <laughs> that's that's just a terrible idea oh how about this for giving the party the clue the first time the dragon takes serious damage maybe it lashes out and hits one of them Ooh, knocks it over yeah, it's like yeah. oh those can fall there we go okay so we've got something strength-based for our bruiser to do and to stop the bruiser, the dragon could easily use the tactical element of the Walls of Tangled Brush, which is another lair action. It literally creates a, a wall that hurts a lot if you want to push through it. Well, we've already established that there's vines everywhere along here. So yeah, those just grow and can be manipulated. That's good. All right, throw another character. Okay, so we got Dane, a cleric, a hill dwarf cleric of the life domain. Ooh. So this is a heavily wisdom-focused build. 
So this character is a relative of the person who gave the main quest and feels bound to honor the agreement to complete it. This is the character with a lot of skin in the game. They might have some attachment to this library. We can give some real tough questions to answer <laughs> to this character. Why would you do that, Travis? Because I'm a great fucking DM, that's why. <laughs> Yikes. Dane is aggressive in combat, but often has to provide that massive healing that the life domain allows for. Cool. Healing is going to be the focus on this one. Uh, playing into all that wisdom, playing into the, uh, I mean, a life domain cleric. You can't get much more healing centric than that. Heck so yeah. I'm curious where you're going to take this one. Okay, so pulling in that whole, the dragon is twisted and evil. What if the dragon drops a key NPC on one of the small land masses of vines in the distance? Oh, something tough to reach. Yeah, and they do it when maybe things aren't going so well for them drop this NPC and knocks them unconscious. And maybe it's an NPC that the party even knows could be of huge help if they get into the fight. I'm going to wound that NPC. We're going to have one of those vines go straight through a leg. You twisted man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> or even into the water. <gasps> yes. Got to pull them up first. I mean, that utilizes some of the environmental stuff that we've already laid out really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dragons pulling them into the water with a vine that they're controlling with their mind. Oh, it's good. And that leads into the last lair action of the dragon, which is grasping roots and vines. Stopping the cleric from getting to the NPC. There you go. You're evil. <laughs> You're the evil one. <laughs> yes. We need some balance in this room. <laughs> All right. And our final character is Elorath, a high elf wizard of the evocation domain. So this is going to be a heavily intelligence focused build. And this character is an acolyte on a search for knowledge. When the party's path unearths ancient places, it's really convenient. And they're somewhat conflicted in that their powerful magic is tempered by a more pacifist road that they want to go down. They want to avoid bloodshed. Interesting. That's a great character. It The conflict is baked into everything that they do in d and I great. love it. And they have every reason, again, to be at this library. Absolutely. Okay, so tactical element. You're going the evocation magic route or intelligence route. Where does that fit in? Well, I think this one's just going to be intelligence focused and heavily so. So I was thinking, what if those items that fell from the crystal dragons are four pieces that make up a magic item if put together? The dragons separated them because it's oh, pretty freaking dangerous. You know that our wonderful wizard is going to throw down a knowledge check to determine what those things are. I mean, there's a lot of pieces that have to come together. The archer needs to take the bait when it comes to those crystal skulls. Yeah. But of course, when the DM describes the crystal skull with a faint something inside, you know that those are coming down. Yeah. And then once those do come down, you know that somebody's going to roll and like, do I recognize that? I don't know what the hell that is. And I say on this one, just give it to the wizard. Fair enough. They're smart. They are smart. Yeah. So it looks like one of four pieces. When you have four crystal heads in this room, they're going to put it together. Yeah. And if you want to give them even more juice, tell them that they make up a sphere of annihilation. Oh, shit. I mean, you could have it be any item, whatever, <laughs> whatever fuels your fire. <laughs> so you just threw down the winning card 
into the middle of the battlefield. <laughs> Holy shit. Now there's a bit of a fight going for putting that together. The wizards maybe trying to get themselves or calling out battle commands to be like, do not let the dragon get all four of those. This encounter is chaos. <laughs> and just as a reminder for anyone that doesn't know what the Sphere of Annihilation is, it's a two foot wide, basically black hole that destroys anything that passes through it. And it can be mentally controlled by someone that's super smart. <laughs> oh, man, that's diabolical. And where it provides even a little more conflict is you can mentally fight to control it. Like if two people want to control it, then it's a test of intelligence. So this battle is coming down to the might <laughs> over mind of the dragon and the wizard. Yeah. So the people that have the hitty smashy things... Don't account for much when the shit really goes down and now you need the biggest brain in the room to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a dragon. Well, I feel like everybody's strengths are being used because the, the wizard doesn't have that luxury if things aren't going smoothly enough. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and I think that counts for the tactical element of the dragon as well. Absolutely. And I think a reminder is in order here that you don't necessarily have to build a tactical element for every member of the party. That can be kind of an exhausting exercise. Absolutely. And you might want to use it for these massive encounters. But just throwing in one tactical element that makes one of the party members feel heroic or two of the party members, this is their time to shine. But in the next encounter, maybe it's the other two players. And another reminder is that we're thinking about these tactical elements for the specific party members, but any party member can interact with any of them, and that's what creates the dynamic encounter. True enough. Okay, so the final step is building stages and triggers that can happen within this fight. So it becomes a out-and-out -out brawl if we just have whoever can reduce the other one to their HP. Uh, if there's no dynamism in the different stages of a fight, I, as a green dragon, am going to have a very different approach at full health than when I've been beaten and bruised down to around half health. I'm going to change my tactics. And my psychological state. I'm getting pissed. <laughs> well, and what I love about this area that we've already got kind of figured out and that we can use in our different various stages is the varying heights. We've established that the dragon can go low into the pools. Under the sea. <laughs> it can fight at ground level, where all the vines and the bookshelves are, or it can go high. And I, th I think we've kind of talked about uh, the pillars, but I think maybe some balconies up oh, in yeah. this, Why in this not? area. Reading nooks. Yeah. <laughs> you will find the dragon up in the reading nook. <laughs> It's a very sophisticated dragon. <laughs> All right. So if we're going to break this down into three stages, stage one, we need triggers and then we need a change of tactics. So what's our first trigger? This is before the combat pops off. And unless you're planning a full on conversation, the dragon's going to be sneaking around. So we're going to either put him in the water or on the balcony, like with some of that greenery around them, and they're blending in like a cat does into the trees. Well, we've already discussed that this dragon has a flair for the dramatic. Yeah. And loves intrigue, which means that this dragon has been following them for some time. 
It knows they're coming. It knows that they're coming. It is waiting for the grand reveal. Yeah. It cannot wait to talk to them. <laughs> Bubbling with excitement. But it has to make a serious entrance. So I'm digging that that balcony. Yeah. Of just like I can imagine the dragon hands kind of crossed, just standing or sitting, oh so proud of its domain. And that it has allowed these puny dumb shits <laughs> to come and parlay with it. So then if you get into the tactics, if it's just chilling in the heights, it's going to want to introduce itself with that poison breath. Well, Maybe it would just be really casual about it too. <laughs> Let me bestow upon you some of my delicious breath. <laughs> well, I think this happens. Like this is its first attack. Yeah. And it's going to regenerate this very quickly. So it's going to open with this, especially because it's at range. So if it is on the balcony, if it is blending in, it's having a whole conversation with the adventurers while completely stealth. And maybe the adventurers see it, maybe they don't. But if somebody makes a move, it's going to open with this. Yeah. So then stage two. So we need a trigger. And I mean, Gabriel Picard was a very strong proponent of having an environmental change, not just a, a character tactic change, but an environmental change at every stage. It just adds a new element to the combat. It makes it feel like a movie scene. So what's the trigger? You know, like a 75% health? Yeah, I think keeping the trigger simple is good for now. And that'll change its tactics to stop being aggressive and just like tearing into the characters yeah. And start diving into the water and lunging out at them with its attacks. So it's going to go straight for the adventurers upon the start of combat because A, it, it thinks that they're puny and sad. And yeah. also, if combat has started, it's been offended. And therefore, it's just going to go straight for the jugular. But now, in a it's playful a way. Yeah. It's going to be weird. <laughs> At 75% health, it's now assessing the adventurers and going, oh, this is a little bit different than I expected. I'm going to have to play a little bit more defensive. Yeah, going to have to be smarter about this. The environmental change could be the water flowing into the room is increased. So maybe at that 75% health, the dragon smashes into the wall intentionally where the water's coming in, uh, increases the flow. Nice. So now the the room is filling slowly, like... Maybe before it wasn't, even when you were standing in water, it was like ankle deep. And now it's becoming knee deep, which means certain areas have now become difficult terrain. Totally. Giving less room to run around on. Very good. All right. So stage three, the final trigger. I mean, I figure this dragon is is smart. I mean, if you read The Monsters Know What They're Doing... By Keith Amon, amazing book and blog. <laughs> well, Keith talks about how, I mean, this isn't like most other dragons. The green dragon, it's not going to sacrifice its entire being just for the sake of some adventures. It knows that it bides its time. And with enough time, it can convince anybody of anything. And totally. so it's going to give up a lot sooner, which means its next trigger has to be somewhere less dire than like 10% health. So I'm kind of thinking like 50. Keith suggests they run away at about 40% or not run, but like they're out of the combat at 40%. So yeah, 50%. Interesting. Okay. So let's start with the opponent change. What's that one look like? Okay. So 
the dragon enters into a moment of false respect for the party. It's going to start lying and schmoozing its way out of this mm. fight. It's going to say whatever it takes to make a deal in that moment. And if it succeeds, it's going to leave on good terms because that's what the party wants. But do anything it can to trap the party in its crumbling lair behind it. That's evil as hell. Gotta do it. <laughs> it's a green dragon. And if it fails and the party doesn't trust it, believe it, like I'm sure they won't, <laughs> uh, it'll trigger a collapse that maybe it only affects like half the room. Mm, yeah. Because you don't want to take away everything from the players in the hopes that they're going to get some treasure out of this deal. Yeah. We need to give the players some idea that this room may collapse. Like we have to prep them for that. So I'm kind of feeling like two rounds of cracking ceiling might do it. And then like open areas where ceiling doesn't exist. So they know that if this shit really starts going down to retreat to these two areas on the map to, you know, not be crushed by falling debris. Nice. Another strategy. So yeah, that's the environmental change then. The ruins are going to start crumbling and the tactics are trying to force the party members into that crumbling half if it's still got to fight furiously to the death. Cool. Okay. Well, I couldn't be happier with this encounter. Like this has everything that I want in a really grand encounter. It feels pretty good. It might be a little much to actually run. So we might have to take out things we'll as just required. On the fly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you got plenty to play off of there. Yeah. So those steps again, know your villain, like really chum up to your villain and figure out what would make them happy. What do they need to get out of this? Then build to suit the players and the villain. Build your entire encounter to suit both sides. And then finally, that step three is build that encounter in stages and triggers and make sure that you have a dynamic combat set out for your players. To really scare the poop out of your party. I'm pooped. Let's move on to our next segment, the Temple of Inspired Hands. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands, where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. Okay, so in this segment, I want to get to talking about an amazing product called the Unbreakable Anthology. But first, I want to explain how I got here. So in the last two episodes, I've talked about kind of the European mythology about evil dragons and the Ouroboros. But for this one, I originally wanted to find out more about good dragons. And they come from East Asian mythology. Yeah, the East Asian mythology around dragons is so cool. Because like, I don't know, when I consider dragons, that's kind of where my mind goes first, to be honest. Hmm. Towards the dragons that fly without wings. Yeah. Like you and I don't have a lot of exposure to it, but like the never ending story kind of dragon. Yes. Falcor. <laughs> I dreamt of riding Falcor. Falcor when I was a kid. <laughs> Excellent. So that's where that concept comes from. And what you and I think of as the Chinese dragon isn't even really a dragon. The Chinese word is long. Wow. And I'm not a pro, but essentially English speaking people saw the long and said, oh, that looks kind of like a dragon. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we do. <laughs> yeah. We do a lot of assumptions and then base <laughs> everything on it. We'll, we'll just call it a dragon. We'll assume that <laughs> long means dragon. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> 
beyond how we butchered this, there is a ton of really cool dragon lore. Absolutely. So in East Asia, it's usually a beneficent symbol associated with water and the heavens. People would pray to these dragons to end droughts or floods to give them good luck. All sorts of nice things. Sounds like a lot of where the metallic dragons or the good dragons get a lot of their inspiration from, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> and in that context, it sounds nothing like the evil dragons. And not only that, but they look pretty different. Like they've got the antlers of a stag, the head of a camel, the eyes of a demon, the neck of a snake, the belly of a clam, the scales of a carp, the claws of an eagle, the soles of a tiger, and the ears of a cow. That's not quite that intimidating, <laughs> scary. Not what I picture when I think of like fins and razor sharp talons and stuff. It's definitely a more approachable dragon. I suppose so, yeah. I mean, they're still very powerful, but... How does this all relate to the Unbreakable Anthology? Well, in my looking into these good dragons, uh, I found the Unbreakable Anthology. And it's this collection of adventures that were created so that Asian creators had a space within the tabletop role-playing community to share adventures that were from the cultures that meant something to them. So you mean having the creators actually have a deeper understanding of the culture that these stories were coming from that makes sense absolutely something that was very lacking before <laughs> well, this was created and if you really want to tell an engrossing story and i i mean i'd love to learn a little bit like i love a little bit of historical accuracy so why not borrow from the folklore that actually created a lot of the stuff that you're running yeah i mean it's gonna feel so much more in depth and so much more, I don't know, just coming from a place of earnestness and honesty and respect. So I had to take a look through this anthology and the first adventure is really powerful and relates dragons. Perfect. It's by Ethan Yen, who's the author of several D&D adventures, and it's called Through the Dragon's Gate. And I don't want to spoil anything, but oh. here's just a little bit of the inspiration for it. It's based on the Chinese proverb, the carp has leapt through the dragon's gate. As it does. There's, so there's a gold dragon in the mix. As I read through it, it struck me as being very well designed. It's got powerful themes. There's even amazing art in this book to accompany it. I'm into it. And there's nine more adventures in the anthology that are just delightful across the board. They're all really well created and considered adventures. So we'll have to throw some links up to that in the show notes. Absolutely. If you want to use these Asian themes in your games, this is the first place to look. Highly encourage it. Awesome. Well, I've think we're done <laughs> we're done talking about dragons so you know the next episode will not <laughs> be about dragons dragons for a hundred years million years forever dragons <laughs> thank you very much for listening again if uh well hopefully we can get some kind of resource because i i feel like this structure worked really well in creating this entire encounter and it screams to me some kind of form-fillable PDF, so hopefully I can get my ass working on that in the next couple of days. And man, did that structure help me. Going from like my earlier encounter designs, which I will never share. Just on a <laughs> hope and a prayer. <laughs> yeah. All right, and then we also have another review, this time from MeWill, and it goes, Great! <laughs> I like that enthusiasm. <laughs> Give me more pizzazz. Star, 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 star. <laughs> Informative and fun. I hardly recommend it to all D&D &D enthusiasts. All. 
You heard that. All D&D enthusiasts. I think that that's means... a little little wide, me, Will. <laughs> hey, <laughs> don't sell us short. 14 million globally should be, I don't know, I guess just recommended, hard, heartedly recommended to listen. Yeah, I, I think my early projection was like half of the <laughs> world population, if I recall. Uh, Anyways, thank you so much, me, Will. If you do find yourself making any cool adjustments to your games or your encounters due to this, let us know. Hop onto our Discord and, and let us know what helps so we can make more of it. You can also follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. And again, thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you hear in this episode. And thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. And, and go to space great. and find dragons made of stars. What? Space Station Dragon. Oh, I see.